Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you give us. And Father, we know that you bless us in ways that we see and ways that we don't see. But Father, help keep us mindful of the many blessings that come our way. And Father, this morning, especially, we're thinking about the blessing of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we're thinking about the meal that he shared with his disciples, a meal where he gave his body and he gave his blood as a reminder, as a memorial of the sacrifice that he was about to make. And Father, I just pray that you'll make that sacrifice very real and very meaningful to us this morning as we come to the table to celebrate what has been done for us. And Father, we thank you for that freedom and that victory that came through Jesus' sacrifice. Father, we just pray that this will be a day when we draw closer to you, we draw closer to each other so that the, the things that bind us together will be stronger than they've ever been before. And Father, we pray that that will be a testimony to the people around us so that they will see Jesus Christ living in us. Father, we pray this prayer through his name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So it is the first Sunday in April, which is amazing to me that we are already here. We're in the fourth week of our Come Follow Me sermon series. It's a seven-part series in which we're walking along with the very first disciples as they followed Jesus. We're looking at where Jesus led them in order to help us understand where he's likely to lead us and to help equip us for the journey that lies ahead for us as we strive to follow Jesus at all times and in all places and in all circumstances. This is a series that's intended to help us live out our 2014 Netherwood Park theme. That theme is that all may know we are disciples of Jesus Christ. And we have that theme because we share a common desire to follow Jesus boldly, to follow Jesus publicly, and to follow Jesus consistently. So that there is never any doubt in anyone's mind that the Lord and Master of our lives is Jesus Christ. And in the first week of the series, we talked about following Jesus into the unknown. And we looked on as Jesus called four fishermen and a tax collector to come and follow him. And we marveled at their willingness to literally drop everything and follow Jesus into a completely unknown future. And we saw that they were able to make such a profound decision because they recognized that knowing who they were following was much more important than knowing where they would be going. And it was much more important than knowing what they would be doing or when and how things were going to happen. And together, we as a group affirmed our intent to follow in the steps of the first disciples by placing our unknown futures in the hands of the God that we know, the God that we love, the God that we trust. And then in our second week of the series, we walked along with the disciples as they followed Jesus into foreign territory. We did that in order to meet a Samaritan woman at Jacob's well. And as we observed that encounter, we learned that Jesus often leads his disciples into surprising places in order to meet surprising people so that his kingdom can be grown in surprising ways. So we encouraged each other to be prepared to allow God to lead us into surprising places so that we can meet surprising people and so that we can bear witness as we observe Jesus grow his kingdom in very surprising ways. 
And then last week, we shared a boat with Jesus. And we shared a boat with his disciples as they sailed right into the teeth of a very powerful storm. And we learned that we can have complete confidence that the one who calmed the storm is present with us and does care about us in the midst of our life storms. And together, we take comfort in the fact that not even life storms can separate us from the love of God that has been given through our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Next week, during our outreach weekend, and when we have our combined worship service, we'll walk with the disciples as their journey abruptly changes. As their journey changes course from triumph to tragedy. And that happens as Jesus, who's their teacher and their leader, is taken to be publicly executed. And it's done on a cross. And we'll see that following Jesus often requires his disciples to walk against the strong winds of public opinion. To walk against the winds of peer pressure. And to walk against the winds of fear. And then on the 20th, which is Easter Sunday, we'll follow Jesus to the tomb. But praise be to God, we won't leave him in the tomb. Instead, we'll walk along with the disciples as their journey once again abruptly changes. But this time it changes from tragedy to triumph. Because Jesus defeats death. And Jesus declares complete victory over sin. And then finally, on the 27th, we'll complete this series by walking with the disciples into the community of the very first church. And there we'll see that having Jesus in common overwhelms all of our differences. And we'll see that having Jesus in common unifies us because we have a shared identity as disciples of Jesus Christ. So as we get going this morning, if you're not already there, turn to Mark chapter 14. We'll be starting in verse 12, Mark 14, verse 12. On the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was time to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparation for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room? Where may, where may I eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. For most of us, I'm sure it's all but impossible to read about these preparations for the Passover meal without the shadow of the events that are about to occur intruding on the account. Because as we read, we know that this isn't just a Passover meal that's being prepared. These are preparations for the last meal that Jesus will eat with his disciples before he is arrested, before he is tried, before he is crucified, before he's buried. And as we read... We know that this Passover meal will take on new significance for Jesus' disciples then. And we also know that this new significance will endure. It will endure for centuries for Jesus' disciples to come. And as we read this passage, we know that the significance of this meal only really becomes apparent in light of the events that are about to occur. 
So our tendency when we read this is to look into the future. And we do that to interpret the significance of this meal. And I want to affirm that that's very important for us to do. But I also want us to understand that it's important also to look back. Because I believe an understanding of the significance of the Passover meal can greatly enhance. It can greatly embellish. It can greatly help us understand the significance of what Jesus did in that upper room on that day. It can greatly enhance and enrich what we came together to do this morning as we gather around the table and eat the meal. The Passover meal is about slavery and it's about salvation. The Passover meal is about bondage and it's about freedom. For Jews, it commemorates God's intervention to bring their nation out of Egyptian slavery, to bring them to freedom in the land that he had promised them. I know there's not nearly enough time this morning for me to tell the entire Exodus story. And there's not enough time for me to delve into the rich symbolism of the meal that celebrates the Exodus story. But I do want to give us just a taste of what the Passover meal that Jesus and his disciples ate was all about. And the Passover meal is all about taste. It's about the taste of salt water as a reminder of the tears shed in slavery. It's about the taste of bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of bondage. It's about the taste of lamb's meat as a reminder of how lambs were killed and their blood was spread on the doorpost so the angel of death would pass over the Jewish houses, and spare their children. It's about the taste of flatbread, cooked without leaven to remind the people of their need to be pure and holy, and also remind them of their need to be ready to travel quickly at a moment's notice. And it's about the taste of wine. It's about the taste of four cups of wine, a reminder of God's promises to his people, The first promise, I will bring you out. His second promise, I will free you from being slaves. His third promise, I will redeem you. And his fourth promise, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. So while eating the Passover meal, the participants don't just taste food. They taste freedom. They taste salvation. They taste faithfulness. And they taste love. And the meal nourished each of them in ways that no other food could. The meal strengthened each of them in ways that no ordinary meal ever would. And it did this not only by looking back at what God had accomplished, by also looking at what God was accomplishing now and what God would accomplish in the, for, in the future. The meal looked back. The meal looked in the present And the meal looked to the forward. The Passover meal was a reminder that the God who saved in Egypt continues to save. And is a reminder that the God who was faithful in Egypt continues to be faithful. And it was a reminder that the God who out of love listened to the cries of his people still loved. That's what the Passover meal was about. So the Passover meal was not just a meal of memory. It was also a meal of preparation. It was preparing the people for their continuing journey by giving them spiritual nourishment and spiritual strength, 
by renewing them, by strengthening them. And it did this by renewing and strengthening their connection to their God and by renewing and strengthening their connection to their brothers and sisters. That's the meal, the Passover meal that's being prepared for Jesus and his disciples. And because we know what is about to happen in their lives, we also know that this is the perfect time for Jesus to share a meal of preparation. We know it's a perfect time for Jesus to share a meal that will nourish them, that will strengthen his disciples because they have a very difficult journey ahead of them. And that brings us to our key point for this morning that you'll find on the screen behind me and also in your outline. The key point is this. Just like the first century disciples, our time at the table nourishes each of us. It nourishes each of us individually and it strengthens us by connecting us to our Lord and by connecting us to each other. Our time at the table nourishes each of us individually and it strengthens us by connecting us to our Lord And to each other. But we know that we don't come to the Passover table. We come to the Lord's table. We eat at Jesus' table. We come here this morning to eat a meal that has the taste of true freedom. We come to eat a meal that has the taste of eternal life. And we eat a meal that has the taste of unsurpassed love. Let's read about that meal. Mark 14, 22. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and offered it to his disciples, saying, Take it. This is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. It's a familiar passage, but it's a passage that doesn't tell us everything that we'd like to know. Paul put a little bit of flesh on the scene, gave us a little bit more detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. You can turn there with me. I'll be reading beginning with verse 23. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-three. Paul said this. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread... And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So Jesus took a meal that was all about freedom from Egyptian slavery and with it established a meal about freedom from slavery of sin. Jesus took a meal that was all about salvation from the tyranny of Egyptian rule and with it established a meal about salvation from the tyranny of Satan's rule. And Jesus took a meal about the faithfulness and love of God and with it established a meal that celebrates the ultimate proof that God's faithfulness and love continues today. Jesus took the same flat bread, the bread baked without leaven, the same bread that was used in the Passover meal, 
And he gave it additional significance. He gave it additional meaning. No longer would the bread be just a reminder of the need for pure and holy living. No longer would it be a reminder of the need to always be ready to act. No, it would be a reminder of something much more significant. It would now be a reminder of Jesus' body. Be a reminder of the truly holy one who acted on our behalf. And Jesus took the same wine that was used to remind the people of God's promises to bring them out of Egypt. His promise to redeem and free them. His promise to make them his people and to be their God. He took that same wine and he gave it more significance. He gave it a more profound meaning. No longer would the wine be just a reminder of the promises kept to the people who were enslaved in Egypt. It would now be a reminder of Jesus' blood. It would be a reminder of the blood that sealed God's promise to redeem us from the slavery of sin. So the meal is bread and it's wine. The meal is body and it's blood. The meal is about freedom and it's about salvation. The meal is about faithfulness and it's about love. It's the Lord's meal that we share today. So as we prepare to follow Jesus to the table, let me share a few lessons about this meal we're about to eat. The first lesson is this. This supper that we're about to eat memorializes Jesus' death while celebrating our deliverance and freedom. The supper memorializes Jesus' death while celebrating our deliverance and our freedom. And I understand that's a hard balance to achieve. This is a meal about death. Jesus was sacrificed as the ultimate perfect Passover lamb. Jesus' body ended up on a cross. Jesus' blood ran out of his wounds. And so this meal memorializes his death. And death makes us somber. Death makes us sad. But it's not just a memorial meal. It's also a celebration meal. It's a victory meal. See, the remarkable thing isn't just that Jesus died, as remarkable as that is. And the remarkable thing isn't how Jesus died, as remarkable as that is. What is most remarkable is why Jesus died. Jesus died to set sinners free. He died to redeem the lost. He died to redeem the hopeless. He died to give life to the dead. His death was for you, and his death was for me. That's the remarkable thing about his death. So this is a meal where one moment we shed a tear for the painful death of an innocent man. And we shed a tear for the fact that it's our sin that made that death necessary. But in the next moment, we're moved to shout, Hallelujah, what a Savior. He would die for me. Supper is a memorial meal, but it's also a celebration of deliverance, a celebration of freedom. And that came with the death of Jesus Christ. Our second lesson. At the table, we're nourished by looking back, but we're also nourished by looking forward. When we come to the table, our souls are fed as we're reminded of what God has done for us. 
It nourishes our spirits to re- be reminded of Jesus' words from John three sixteen, where he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We're all fed as we remember Jesus' birth. We're fed as we remember his life and his teaching and his mighty acts. We're nourished as we remember his sacrifice. We're even fed as we remember his suffering. We're nourished as we remember his burial. And we are absolutely fed as we remember his resurrection. And especially when we consider that was all done on our behalf. It was all done for our sake. It was all done to rescue us. See, that feeds us. That sustains us. But what happened in the past also gives us hope and it gives us confidence in the future. Because at the table, our souls are fed by the reminder that the God who saved still saves. And we're reminded that the God who redeemed still redeems. And we're reminded that the God who was faithful remains faithful. And we're reminded that the God who loved still loves. So here at the table, we receive our nourishment by looking back and also by looking forward. Our third lesson. At the table, we're strengthened. And we're strengthened by a variety of things. We're strengthened by recognizing our dependence on Jesus. Now, normally, we think of dependence on someone else as a sign of weakness. That's the way we're trained to think. And we're trained to think of independence as a sign of strength. But at the table, we're reminded that we can't do it alone. We're reminded that it is only when we place our dependence on Jesus that we have hope. We place our dependence on Jesus, who is the all-powerful one. And then we have the strength to overcome. We're reminded of the words, if God is for us, then who can be against us? At the table, we're also strengthened by recognizing our dependence on each other. See, at the table, we not only recognize the physical body of Christ that died on the cross for us, but we also recognize the spiritual body of Christ, his church. That church exists because he died for us. So not only are we strong because Jesus is on our side, we're strong because he has given us his church. He has made us a part of his church. We aren't in this alone. We have each other. We have brothers and sisters all over the world that are sharing this same meal this morning. And from that, from that reality, we derive strength. And also at the table, we're strengthened by our sharing of a common yearning. Remember those words from 1 Corinthians. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. At the table, we are reminded and we proclaim to each other that Jesus is coming again. And as we share this meal with brothers and sisters who also yearn, who also ache, who also eagerly anticipate the day when Jesus comes back and takes his body, the church, to be with him forever, that 
gives us strength. Knowing that our faithful and loving God will keep his promises gives us the strength that we need to keep going until the day that he arrives. So now, and each Sunday as we come to the table and as we prepare to eat the meal, what can we do to derive the nourishment, to take the strength that we need, to take the nourishment and strength that God intends for us to have? Let me suggest just a few things. The first thing I want to encourage everybody to do is to come to this table in anticipation. Come to the table in anticipation. Look forward eagerly. Look forward with excitement. Look forward to what God has prepared for us at the table. What a privilege it is to be invited to dine at the Lord's table. What an honor it is to share in his body and his blood. So let's all come to the table anticipating that our souls are going to be fed and that our spirits are going to be strengthened here at the table together. So come to the table in anticipation of what's going to occur. The second thing that I think we can all do is that we can recognize the importance of both bodies when we're at the table. I'm going to ask you at the table to sacrifice your independence. I'm going to ask you to affirm your dependence on Jesus and to affirm your dependence on his church, your brothers and sisters in Christ. He sacrificed his body so we could be added to his body, the church. So as you eat the bread, draw closer to Jesus, but also draw closer to his church, his body. The third thing I'm going to suggest as we eat this meal is to drink deeply of the cup. Drink deeply of the cup. By that I mean savor the taste. And savor the taste because the taste of the cup is the taste of salvation. It's Jesus' blood that cleanses. It's Jesus' blood that washes. It's Jesus' blood that blots out, that destroys sin. We aren't taking a sip of grape juice. We're drinking salvation. So drink deeply of the cup. And then finally, I'm going to ask you to leave the table also in great anticipation. Leave the table looking forward to what is to come. Know that the God who loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us is still alive. He's still active. He's still working in our world. So leave in anticipation that Jesus is coming. Leave in anticipation that he's going to take us home. And as you leave the table, leave knowing that we're one Sunday closer to being home with our Lord. And what a great anticipation that is. So now, we're going to eat the meal together.